man. A joy to gather together as a church. Hey, there's a reason we are doing this, and that's because um, we wanted to have the largest church picnic we've ever had. Uh, next year, we're going to get a big blanket that covers the whole field, and we all just sit on it. But a joy to gather together as God's people. I want to apologize to anybody who thought they were getting anywhere on Highway 26 this morning. Everybody trying to get Joe's Donuts uh, got, got a little backed up, but they didn't realize the people of Rise want to worship God. Amen. And so we love gathering together. You know, we spend our summer pouring out. We spend our summer doing things like kids camp and church in the park and city serve, and we're always pouring out. The purpose of today is that we would gather as one body, one church, and just be reminded, why, why are we even do this? What is the mission? What is the purpose? Laugh together, celebrate together, worship together, eat together. And so I am so grateful that you would come and join us in participating and gathering with the people of God. What I want to do this morning is I want to look at Ephesians chapter 3 because it is a prayer by Paul. It gives us a framework for why we even exist, what he wants for our church. And so if you have a Bible, grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians 3. If not, you got notes on the way in that has that passage. Feel free to pull up your phone. But I want you to read along with me or even on the screen screen next to me. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on earth, in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, as we come here, as we gather in your creation, as we sit under your word, would you, would you do something in our hearts? Would you shape us more and more into the image of your son? Would you fill us with the power of your spirit? Would you continue to guide and shape the trajectory of your people that as we walk in you and as we are your body, we would experience the fullness of what you have for us. And we would go out to a hurting and broken world and to live with gospel purpose. We pray all this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. So Paul is laying this framework for us that our church exists, that people might experience the fullness of God. That, that our lives would be flipped upside down when we encounter the gospel. When Jesus came, he said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, okay? That's the enemy. That is what the world is trying to, what the world is experiencing and what the world is happening. Steal, kill, and destroy joy and hope and love. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That fullness of God is the experience. Life in Jesus is the best possible life. Amen? 
I'm not saying it's pain-free, and Jesus promised there would be trials and suffering, but it is the way of fullness. It is what we long for. And so when we gather as a church, when we pray for people, when we gather in small groups, when we serve in kids, when we do all these things, we're doing it so that the next generation, the people in our city, could experience and get a taste of God and the fullness of him. Do we want that? Do, do you want that for your neighbors? Do you want that for your children? Do you want that for your coworkers? Man, if they could just encounter God, their life would be flipped upside down. And Paul prays three things specifically, three ways our lives would be transformed. First, a new power in our lives. That's what he prays for, that we would experience a new power. May he, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This word strengthen, uh, this word power is the word dunamis, okay? It's where we get the word dynamite. It appears 579 times in the New Testament. It is a key theme of the New Testament church would be power. And the word power is used of two people in particular more than anyone else all throughout Scripture. You know what it is? The first is Jesus, that Jesus came in, in power and he displayed mighty acts and mighty works. Why? As evidence that he is who he said he was. This is why he healed the blind. This is why he healed the sick. This is why he raised the dead to life. This is why he calmed storms. It was a display of his dunamis, his power, that he is who he said he is, that he is God. But you know who the second most commonly used person that this term refers to? It's you. A follower of, Christ, a follower of Jesus, a Christian. Because it's evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives. This is what Paul is praying, man. Would you just experience a new power in your life, the Spirit's power? Because our, we, our inner being is filled with all kinds of experience, is it not? All kinds of moments of pain and hardships and trial, is it not? Wounds of our past insecurities. And see, what happens is we start to, we feel a calling or we feel a burden to live in a certain way. And then we start, we, we, we go to take an action or a step towards that. And all the pain and insecurities, they just rise to the surface. You're like, I can't do that. I can't live in that way. And Paul is saying, no, that is not who you are anymore. Would we be a people who are no longer defined by past pain, but by present power? There would be a, an expression of power in our lives. When my son was really young, his grandfather got him a, a rite of passage into boyhood, which is the red Swiss army knife. Am I right? Every, every boy in the passage into boyhood gets that experience. And so when he was about five or six years old, he, he brought it to me and he's like, dad, I want you to show me this. Like, show me all the tools. And so we're like going through, you know, here's the knife. Here's the scissors that will never really cut anything effectively your entire life, right? Here's a corkscrew. What's that for? Apple juice, right? You know, like you know, for some reason, his favorite object was the toothpick. Right? He's like, I can't believe there's a toothpick in here, right? A reusable toothpick. That's not gross. No big deal, right? And so I showed him how to how you use this knife and I, and how you when you're carving something, you carve away from you. And he did what every little boy does when they get a Swiss Army knife. The very first thing you make, everybody makes the same thing first. It's a spear. 
He goes outside, he finds a stick, and he starts whittling a spear. And man, when he got done with that spear, he was so proud, like walking around, like, look at this thing. Like, it just, you know, attaches to his back. Everywhere he go, had this spear, right? The next day, he was, came upstairs, and we're, we're having breakfast, and the kids want cereal. And so my wife looks at Dax, and she's like, Dax, are, are you old enough? Are you big enough to, to pour your own, make your own breakfast now? Can you pour your own cereal? And I kid you not, he looks at her, and he goes, Mom, I'm a person with a spear now. <laughs> of course I can. Right? For Dax, that was a moment in his life. There was like pre-spear Dax, and then there was post-spear Dax. Everything about his destiny and identity changed, Right? Can you tie your shoes? Can you fight wolves? Can you pour milk into a bowl? Of course, I am a person with a spear now. A change in identity. And what Paul is saying is that as we understand the, the power of Jesus, as we are filled with the spirit, we too, when faced with addiction, fear, pain, trial, temptation, weakness, we should go around saying, no, 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 I can face this because I'm a person with the spirit now. I have a new spirit in me that gives me dunamis. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. And see, what we, we, we should have this boldness and this courage and this confidence to walk in what God is calling us individually to and corporately to as a church. We shouldn't look and say, oh man, that's just so hard or, you know, but I don't speak well or I, I have this insecurity. We should look and say, but what spirit is in me and how does he move and how does he want to empower me in these moments? And see, this confidence is not a confidence in ourselves. It's a confidence in our God, is it not? In his power. Because his power is actually made perfect in weakness. Part of the reason Paul praised this was because this was a moment of transformation that Paul had. He, he shares the story of his encounter with Jesus in 2 Corinthians 12. And he says this, he said to me, my grace, this is Jesus talking to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you for my power, the word dunamis, is made perfect in weakness. And this is how Paul responds. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul says, I long for weaknesses. I long for insecurities. I long for areas where I don't feel good enough because those are the moments when the spirit and its power shows up. This is what God is doing in his church. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. May that be said of our church, of each of us individually. That may, I, I never imagined they would live in that way. I never imagined God would do those kind of things. Why? Because it's not a display of our power. It's actually a display of our weakness being surrendered over to his dunamis, his power. And displaying his glory. Secondly, he, he prays specifically that a new dwelling place, we would be a new dwelling place for Christ. That in our hearts, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
The word he uses here, it's, not, it, it, it's a word that means to inhabit, to move in and to establish himself in there. It's not like a short-term visitation, like, oh, he comes in and, you know, and, and then, then he's gone. No, it, he comes in and he starts to remodel. D.A. Carson, a theologian, he explains it like this. He says, this word that, that Paul uses, it's the word that you would use of a newlywed couple who buys a house for the first time and moves in and remodels it and starts a family there and dwells within that home. That's how Christ should dwell within our hearts, that it would be so rooted within us. My wife and I, when we bought our first home, we bought a, a little town home in Fairview Village. And I remember when we went and looked at it, uh, we always wanted to live in that, that neighborhood. We loved it. We loved walking through there. And we went and looked at it. And immediately I was like, this is maybe the worst house I've ever seen. It was bank owned. And so all like the backsplash was not, was like ripped off the wall and tile was broken. Uh, I don't know who painted it, but it was canary yellow and lime green everywhere, right? Like it was the setting for a 90s Sprite commercial. It was just like, who chose this, right? The carpet, half the house had carpet. The other half had carpet pad. Just carpet pad with like nails sticking out. It was, it was horrible. The sink drained into the kitchen. Like literally just kitchen floor. It was, and I'm walking around, I'm like, this is like, no wonder this is getting so cheap. This thing is miserable. And my wife... She was walking around, borderline drooling, ooing and aahing at this house. And she's like, I want it so bad. And I'm like, you are crazy. But here's the difference. Um, my wife is an interior designer. So she walks in a space like that. What I see is the problems. And what she sees is the potential. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit they come in and they don't just see the problems. Yes, they see the brokenness, but they see the potential of what you could be if they could just move in and renovate your heart. It's a holistic renovation to remodel the inside because when Jesus dwells in our hearts, he writes new stories with our lives. And that's what we've seen over and over and over. New stories of a new generation I want to show you this picture of my buddy Dylan, okay? This is Dylan getting baptized, yes, okay? This is in March of 2021. And Dylan's story is his to share, but he comes from a history of brokenness and disconnection and pain. And he gave his life to Jesus and he started coming to young adults and Sunday and serving his heart out. And, and he surrendered and he got baptized declaring his new faith in Christ. That's my boy Nolan, who's uh, baptizing him, who actually today, I was texting him this morning because they just launched their church plant down in Arizona this morning. It was a joy to see. But even uh, more important than Nolan is Julia baptizing Dylan because just this summer they got married. Yes. Dylan's clapping. He's got a smile. He's like, yes, we did. I approve, right? And then Dylan did a good job because he took, they went on honeymoon to Disneyland, Mexico, and a Taylor Swift concert. That's amazing, right? Good job. So if you're looking for anybody to admire, that's, that, that's Dylan. But that is a moment in time where he's like, I'm writing a new story. But, he, but here's where the story got incredible for me. Was nine months later, Dylan baptized his mom. And then after his mom got out of the water, 
Dylan's sister got in the water and Dylan baptized his sister. And then 18 months later this summer, Dylan baptized his grandmother at Church in the Park this summer. When Jesus dwells in our hearts, he writes new stories with our lives. Amen. And here's what's so incredible. He wants to write a new story for the generation to come. I absolutely believe that. But his love and his power and his might and his dwelling and his grace and his goodness is so powerful that it can even rewrite the stories of the past. It can go to previous generations. As I've seen parents and grandparents come to faith in Christ because of your faith and your boldness. That is what we are doing. What we're building here, what, what, how we're serving, it is not for us. It is for others. It is for the generation that is to come. It is for those who are lost that they would experience through us living in power, not our fear, not our insecurities, us walking in the Spirit's power, allowing Christ to dwell in us, that there would be a new story written with our lives. And as a new story is written with our lives, there's a new story written with our church and the church as a whole. And as a new story is being written with the church, there's a new story being written with our city. This is what we're experiencing, is Christ dwelling in us. And as we experience those things, what happens is we get a new identity. And you know what that new identity that Paul prays for? That we would be loved. That we would, our first identity would be, you know what, I am loved by God. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is not a prayer that the church would love God. This is a prayer that they would have the strength to understand God's love for them. Because when we understand God's love for us, that is what flips our lives upside down. It gives us a security and an identity, something to be rooted in God's incredible love. It, it changes the way we live and interact with others. This is why John Stott, brilliant theologian, pastor said, love is to be the soil in which our life is rooted. Love is to be the foundation on which our life is built. May that be said of this church, that we are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, not in trying to be right, not in trying to be better, but in understanding our foundational identity in Christ. That is one who is loved. He goes through these categories, breadth and length and height and depth. They don't represent specific categories of God's love, but simply the vastness and completeness of his love. Whatever spiritual direction you look, you will see and experience God's love. What is the breadth of God's love? God's love is for all. He wishes all to be saved. And what that means is no matter how far away you feel, God loves you and he is pursuing after you. He wants you to experience his love and his grace. Everyone in our city, everyone in our country, everyone in our world, God loves dearly and wants them to come to knowing faith of him. And so we can have confidence and boldness as we move forward as a church. We are aligned with his will. He desires all that should be saved. That's the, that is the breadth, the width of his love. But not just, not just is his love wide, there's a length to his love. And what I mean by that 
is God's love and grace has been for all of eternity. Earlier in Ephesians 1.4, Paul tells us that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. God wanted you to be sitting here in this lawn chair or this picnic blanket or standing in the back so he could remind you of how much he loves you. He has been working for all eternity that you would have an encounter with him. This is what he's doing in our lives. I remember this last weekend, we got together with all our ministry leaders and we had this beautiful house right on the coast. Incredible view. uh, We had this large gathering space. It was three stories and we just are talking about the importance of rooting our identity in who God has made us to be. And if we live in that, we could actually make a transformative impact in people's lives. And I started to share this story of, about somebody who deeply impacted my life. It's my friend Kim's dad, Clint, okay? And so I was sharing this story about this conversation, this moment he had with me 22 years ago in the jungle of Brazil when we were on a mission trip. This comment that he made that made me feel so loved and affirmed, it literally changed the trajectory of my life. It it was a moment where I felt called and pushed and moved into ministry. It, It was a moment where I felt loved by people that weren't my family, that people were just the church. And so I'm sharing this story, and it's kind of this emotional moment for me, an emotional moment for Kim, and she's thinking about her dad, right? So the next day, she's texting her mom pictures of this house. And her mom texts back, and she goes, you won't believe this, but your dad built that house. And she shares that story, and I just had goosebumps on my arm, because I'm like, I, I feel like it was this glimpse of, this is how God is always working. Like, he knew before the beginning of time that I would be in that house sharing that story from 22 years ago, and he had Clint build that and frame that house so it would just be this glimpse of his incredible power. That is the length of his love. You don't get the curtain pulled back very often. We don't. But he is always working to show you his love and his grace, whether you see it or not. That is the length of his love. But not just that, the height of his love. God's love brings us up into the heavenly places with him. Early in Ephesians, again, Paul says, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That means our soul is stamped for all eternity. When we give our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit is an emblem, is a marking, is a protector for us to be with. And we can start to experience the heavenly blessings even now. No matter how high you climb, you will never reach the top of God's love for you. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper still. That is the height of his love and then the depth. And what this refers to and what we need to remember is that God's love goes to the depth of death and the grave. That when we were spiritually six feet underground, dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive with Christ. And so you need to just have moments where you just stop and look at every direction. When you feel unloved, when you feel unworthy and stop and be like, man, where did I come from? How has God been moving in my life? Where where could I go? What, What is next? Who does he love? And the answer, wherever you go, whatever you think about, his love is eternal. And Paul is praying that you would understand that. Man, would the church, would we just be so rooted and grounded in God's love? And so when people show up, 
on a Sunday. People show up to a group during the week. You know what we want them to encounter? Not some right religion, righteous way of living. That's not it. We want them to meet Jesus because he is love, take on flesh and blood. Amen. This is what we're doing. We want people to experience hope and grace and goodness. That when they walk through the doors of the church, they're like, man, there's, there's something here. This is why we are a church. That our entire city would be saturated with the person and love and grace of Jesus. You know, my favorite part of my day, every day, is when I come home. <laughs> because I walk through that door and my kids come running towards me. And they give me this big bear hug. They wrap around me. Sometimes they fight over who gets to hug me first. And even that moment I love. I'm like, yes, fight over me. You love me. <laughs> and it's funny because they never ask, Dad, did you accomplish a lot today? They're just like, you're home. They're never like, Father, were you successful in your endeavors? I don't know why they're British, but sometimes. <laughs> they never say, Dad, did you disappoint anyone's unrealistic expectations of you today? Were you, were you successful? They just care that I'm home. And in those moments, that's an identity moment for me. That I'm dad and I am loved. And let me tell you, there are days where I question my calling I feel like I just fall short. I feel like I, the, the world is against me and the opposition and the criticism. And when, when those kids come and hug me, I'm like, all, that criticism, all those people criticizing, they can go kick rocks for all I care. Because at home, you know what I have? I got a seven-year-old princess and a 10-year-old boy with a spear, and they love me. And that becomes this foundational identity for me. And everything melts away. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, would that be your identity? No matter what you face, no matter where you fall short, would you understand that God wants you to come home? And when we welcome people into our church, would it not be, hey, are you good enough? Does your theology align enough? Are we in the right spot here? Is your background clean enough? It's if you could just understand the Father's love. Oh, the Father's love. This is what we're doing as a church. This is what we're called to do. And this is what we live in and for. That we would live with the Spirit's power. We would be a place of dwelling for Christ. That he would write new stories with our lives. And that people would be able to experience the transformative love of God. Paul, he goes on in Ephesians 4. And he says this, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. See, if we're going to live this kind of life, experience this kind of transformation, we actually have to take a step. And so l listen to me. Before I close here, I just want to call you to some things. Because we are, as we are entering into this new season, man, you need to take a step towards Jesus and his call. You need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. You need to walk in power. You need to dwell with Jesus. You need to find a new identity as a healed, received child of God. And so I'm just going to give you really practical things depending on where you're at. So some of you are new to church. 
Maybe you maybe you don't even have faith in Jesus. Maybe this maybe you have all kinds of questions. Every time I get up and talk, you're like, I don't actually know what he was even saying. And and if that's you, or maybe you're just still trying to build a foundation, on Wednesday of this week, we are launching a thing called Alpha. We did one session already, but this is session two. And, and I want to invite you to come be a part of it. We have this incredible group of leaders that are ready for you. And so in the notes and the handout, there's literally a place you can sign up right there. Just scan that QR code. And this is for those of you who are like, I have questions still. I, I don't know what all of this means. I don't even know if I believe. Listen, questions are welcomed in the church. God is not afraid of your questions. And so if you've been invited in, man, would you, would you explore in that way? Or maybe that's, maybe you're like, I don't know if that's for me, but I know somebody that that's for, then you don't send them there. You go with them. Say, Hey, I will sit next to you. And invite them, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, somebody who's been coming with you. To church. Hey, you, you want to go to Alpha with me? And it's a, a, an environment where we can explore questions together. Here's the second thing that I want to encourage you to do. Next week, we are launching our city groups. And I want you to participate in that. It can, be, it can feel like an intimidating thing. But here's the thing. We are called to be a church, not a crowd. Amen? And a church is called to know one another and to love one another, and to serve one another, and to carry each other's burdens. And we cannot do that as a crowd. We do that as a church. And so as our church grows, I pray our church continues to grow. We're literally trying to figure out how to expand our building and parking lot and kids area as we speak, because we want to continue to grow. But as we grow larger, we have to fight to stay smaller. We have to fight to be known in community. And so I just want to encourage you. The, the group of city group leaders are incredible. They are the shepherds of our church. Every time I sit with them or walk with them or hear their stories or their passion for you, I feel so unbelievably encouraged by the way they want to walk and shepherd our church together. And so maybe that's your step. And the third one I just want to point out is maybe it's time for you to serve. God has called you and gifted you and wired you to play a role in the mission that we are accomplishing here and the mission that is being moved forward. And I don't know what that is for you, but I would love for you to take that step. But I'm going to point out one that we desperately need. You know what it is? It's kids ministry. You know why that is? Because y'all get biblical and are fruitful and multiplied. That's why. Okay. And so here's my, here's my request. There is a kid's table in the back. And you would, would you fill that out, scan that, fill that out, take that back there and say, yes, I'm willing to serve once. And if you are willing to serve in kids, all right, your lunch today is on us, okay? All right? And some of you guys are like, that sounds desperate. It is desperate, you guys. <laughs> it's absolutely desperate. Because, but I'll tell you why. Because two weeks ago, um, I wasn't preaching, and so I'm kind of wandering around. And uh, at the beginning of one of the services, I'm in the kids' area, and I see all these parents walking out of the kids' area with their kids before service started. And so I asked the lead, I'm like, what's, what's happening? Like, what? Like, is there an elephant back there? Do they not want their kids back there? And they're like, no. We have space, but we don't have enough teachers today, and so we're having to send kids away. And then I watched as most of these parents graciously brought their kids into the service, but some of them, their kids were too young. And they were like, out of respect and kindness, they just got up and left. That cannot be the story of our church, you guys. Jesus said, let these children come to me. 
and one of the biggest, most important, I actually love days like this where kids are just running around. Don't let them play in traffic, but I love that they're running around, right? Because this is, this is what we're building this for, are we not? The next generation, what we're pouring into and investing in and building, it may not even be for us. It might be for the generations that are to come, that they would say, man, there is a church that loved us and poured into us and discipled us. And so would you join in that call today? Some of you guys have been waiting, like, man, I'm just on the, I'm on the fringes. I'm waiting to get involved. Would today be the day? Where you're like, no, we are actually called to rise together. That we would strengthen our hands for the good work. That it takes all of us to actually live on a mission because we're not trying to build a crowd. We're trying to see a city flipped upside down. We're trying to be a church that displays God's power and is dwelt in Christ and where people can experience his love. And if we do this, here's the thing. This is what Paul tells us. We will do great things for God's glory. This is the last thing he says in this passage, and I'll wrap up with this. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May we do great things for God's glory. That's what Paul prays, that, that, that our church would do great things for God's glory. The word glory in the Old Testament is the word kavod. It means weight or significance. In the New Testament, it's the word doxa. It means splendor or display. There's a passage in the Psalms that say the stars are a display of the kavod, the weight, the glory of God. Because God is in the business of showing off his might and his power. That is why the, the universe, when we look out in the stars, it takes our breath away because it is a display of God's glory and splendor, is it not? As we sit here in the forest and we look at the trees of the beauty of the Pacific Northwest, it is a display of God's detail in his creation. When we watch sunsets at night and we just, everything melts away and we feel calm and brought into his presence. It's a display of the artistry of the great painter who has designed our world. And even you, you are called the crown of creation. You are a display of his glory. All these things. There to be a picture of his creative brilliance and his divine power and his glorious might. But there is something else that God has created to show off his power, to show off his weight, to show off his splendor, to show off his glory. You know what it is? You guys, it's the church. We exist that we might be for the praise of his glory. That as people's lives are flipped upside down, they say, man, God must be incredible. As marriages are healed and restored, people say, man, the spirit must really be moving. As we unite around mission rather than fighting over what divides us, people would say, man, there is a love there that cannot be displayed, that is not experienced anywhere else. That is to the praise of his glory. To him be glory in the church. And here's what I want you to hear. Over this next six months, six years, six decades, God wants to show off. Just like he does with the stars in the sky and the sunset at night, he wants to show off with this church. 
He wants to display his splendor and glory and may it all be for the praise of his name. Because nine years ago, when a ragtag group of people set out to plant a church, he made it happen that he might get the glory. When a bunch of young people who had no idea what they were doing and felt completely incapable started leading in ways they never imagined, God made it happen that he might get the glory. When we were told, hey, night service doesn't really work, night church doesn't work, and we had to multiply to multiple services because we couldn't fit everybody in the room, God made it happen that he might get the glory. When we started praying about, hey, we need a place to fit everybody, God's the one who brought around along a skating rink in the middle of the city. God's the one who funded so that we could buy it. God's the one who brought the people along to build it so that we could gather. Why? He made it happen that he might get the glory. When COVID shut down our world, God grew this church. Why? That he might get the glory. This summer, as we gathered in the park, 29 people got baptized publicly in the middle of our city. Why? You guys, so that he might get the glory. And 10, 20, 30 years from now, if we would stay faithful to his call to preach the gospel, if we would stay united on mission to make disciples. If we would keep sacrificing for the good of the lost in our city, God will do far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine that he might be glorified in his church for generations to come. And so, would you just close your eyes with me? And I just want you to imagine your life one year from now. If you really began to experience the Spirit's power, if you really began to experience Christ dwelling in you, if you could have a new identity, I, I want you to imagine your children or your grandchildren learning to love Jesus, to root their identity not in what the world says about them, but when in Christ says about them. I want you to imagine our city, what it would look like, 10 25 years from now, if the momentum of what God is doing in and through this church just began to just spread, how would that transform lives? How would, how would that transform the stories that are shared? Think about our world. As Christ prepares to come back, if more and more churches bonded together in unison and love and partnership in the gospel and just preached their hearts out and baptized, what would our world look like? Lord, would you make this happen? You can do far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine. And so, Lord, this is my prayer. What Paul prayed, would you fill this church with the power of your spirit? Would they begin to speak in a way and live in a way and act in a way that, that is transformative and new, a boldness and a courage that they never expected? Would we dwell? Would we be a dwelling place for Christ? That he would just root himself in our hearts and, and change us and change our behavior and our fears? 
change our shortcomings and our identity. And Lord, would we be rooted deeply in your love and your grace? Would our primary identity be that we are loved children of God? And Lord, as we walk in these things, would you allow this church to do great things far beyond what we imagine, far beyond what we ever thought possible, but not for our name, for your name, not for our praise, but for your glory. And would your name be lifted high and made famous? We love you and we worship you today. And all God's people said, amen.